Broadcasting live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Cowboy out on the stormy plain. When I was a cowboy out on the stormy plain, the only hell that I ever raised, he's a pulling on my bridle rein. Comatia, yippee, comatia, yippee, Out on the cow trail, the dusty billows rise. Out on the cow trail, the dusty billows rise. We're 50 miles from water, the grass is scorched and dry. Komataya, yuki komataya, yuki aye. Well, I've been where the lightning tangled in my eyes. I've been where the lightning tangled in my eyes. I heard the trail boss holler, hope you ain't afraid to die. Komataya, yuki komataya, yuki yae. Listening, and if she is, get better soon, Bobby. We miss you, so we'll look for you next week. 
But we have a great show today on the Campfire Cafe. We're going to welcome back to the Campfire Cafe Cowboy Celtics, Denise Withnell and David Wilkie. And then on Saddle Up America, Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America will be joining us and his guest, Miss Holly Groshek with the Equine Land Conservation Resource. They'll be joining us for the second hour on Saddle Up America. But right now, let's listen to a great song from Cowboy Celtic. It's one called Custer Died or Running. And when we come back, we'll be visiting with David and Denise today on the Campfire Cafe.
on the western plains of 19th century North America, intoxicating Gaelic melodies drifted through the evening air at many a cowboy campfire and during lonely shifts at night guard. These songs were brought over from the old country and often refitted with lyrics that reflect the men and women who made their way west. David Wilkie and East Swinthel and Cowboy Celtic bring to life this dazzling melding of Western traditionals and the Celtic styles of Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Cowboy music has well-documented origins in the Celtic tradition, using many of the melodies as foundations for songs as they wandered the plains. Cowboy Celtic creates music that is both hauntingly beautiful and delightfully jovial with captivating melodies that keep your foot stomping. Please make welcome to the Campfire Cafe, David Wilkie and Denise Withnell. Hey, guys. Here we are. Hey. Hi, Gary. <laughs> How are you guys? Doing good. We're, we're great. Good. We're great. Good. We're hanging in there and, and uh, surviving COVID and all that stuff and just having fun at home. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad you're surviving COVID. I'm telling you, this stuff has been rough, hasn't it, for the past year plus now? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. So are you guys wearing masks in Canada? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there there are people who don't want to wear them, and, but I think most people... Uh, some people have a problem, you know, breathing and stuff, but m- most people here have been wearing them for sure. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I look forward. I look forward to the day when we don't have to do that again, and people can go yeah. out and enjoy live music again. Wouldn't that be awesome? No ki- kidding. We we have some friends who actually have done some gigs wearing masks, literally <gasps> singing through masks. Oh wow! Well, I have not seen that. Well. Oh geez, <laughs> I have not seen that. So you guys have always been a a standby for the Elko gathering, and uh, of course it was canceled last year and canceled this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many years did you do Elko, and how did that get started for you? Oh boy, um, I was playing with Ian Tyson. And um, Ian was talking about this new Western festival going on and asked if I wanted to go, and I did. And I went to the very first, uh, 1985, I went to the very first Elko with Ian. Oh, wow. My first introduction. And I don't know, I may have been to 20 or something. I, I don't even know anymore. It's always <laughs> been my favorite place to play. Um thing I like about Elko is they have different culture, cultures there every year, like the, the Spanish or the gauchos, the Mongolian throat singers. Every year is a different kind of cowboy culture, and that, that really enlightened, enlightened my mind on the whole situation. So, Yeah, well, that's one of the cool th- I had Hal Cannon on the show about three weeks ago, I think it was, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was interesting to talk about how Elko got started. And, of course, Waddy, Waddy Mitchell's been on the show before, and we've talked a little bit about they put out a few chairs, and then they had to go get a few thousand chairs to get out. From That's the right. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the nice things about Elko is that they just don't do the traditional Western. They kind of reach out to different types of music in the Western That's field. right. That's what I was trying to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
So how did you get hooked yeah. up, David, with Ian Tyson? Oops, I lost you. I say, how did you get hooked up with Ian Tyson? Wow. Um, I had a, a, a cowboy radio show in Calgary, Alberta. Um, and we, I played cowboy music and country music um, every Sunday night. And um, Ian was a fan of it. Okay. He, he listened all the time. I'd met Ian before a couple times. Um, but... Um, he wanted to do a cowboy album, and uh, he called me, asked if I wanted to play mandolin on it. And, you know, uh, wow. You know, I mean, when I was learning to play music, I wore my, I had so many calluses and blood on my fingers from playing Ian and Sylvia records. Like, I cut my, <laughs> I cut my teeth on Ian and Sylvia playing guitar. So to actually be up on stage with Ian was a huge thrill to me. And uh, so that was my first visit there to Elko. And, and um, they're like a family to us now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Denise, you had posted a, uh, I think you posted a video with uh, David playing with Ian, and and interestingly, and I didn't get to watch all the video, but a young lady named Kathy Lang, and it was like, I never knew her by Kathy, you know? I know, this was before uh, she made it big, and um, yeah, that was in 1983, so say two years before the very first Elko, which oh, was wow. in 1985. And um, yeah, there's some seriously hot mandolin picking at, at, at uh. toward the end of that show <laughs> where, where Dave's fingers there are flashing. There is, that? Uh, gosh. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go yeah. back and watch all of it. I didn't have time to watch it all this morning, but I got to watch a little well, of it. So. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think Dave, that was Katie's first TV appearance. Oh, really? Really? And I remember wow. sitting in the back room, they were putting the makeup on us, and she was sitting in the chair next to me there, and she didn't want to have makeup. She got really mad about it. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Of course, I even back makeup. then. <laughs> yeah, even back then. Oh, uh, gosh. What, what well, the you, I need all the makeup face? I can get. Yeah, you were an awful young looking, David, I'm telling you. God, I was good looking. What in the hell happened you to me? You were. You were. Which which leads me to ask, uh, Denise, how did you guys meet? Well, so the, these videos, there's another one from 1985 uh, that Elko put out where they showed Dave, uh, Dave singing a harmony with Ian and playing at Elko at the first Elko. But anyway, I was working in downtown Calgary during Stampede, and, and it was Stampede, Calgary Stampede. Okay. Okay. And, and Dave had a had a band, and I guess he was playing all over Calgary as as musicians do during Stampede. And so I went out. Um, I thought, oh, there's a band playing out there. I'll I'll go out and have a listen. And um, just at, right outside the the building by this pond, and I actually happened to know um, a guy in the band and. Uh, his girlfriend was a friend of mine, so I went over, and that's how I met Dave. And then I thought, uh-huh, I'm going to try to listen to him uh, some more. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we had a, a gazillion mutual friends uh, in the music scene in Calgary. So, um, yeah, that was in 1986 when we yeah, met. I, I didn't plan to have her on Cowboy Celtic. Really? Um, music, no, I, she was singing some French music with, with some band also. And so um, I needed a guitar player. 
um, for our first Cowboy Celtic gig, and I didn't have one. So she said, I play guitar. <laughs> that's how she became the guitar player for Cowboy Celtic. We, we, we did our first gig in Bend, Oregon. And, oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, and wow. they just uh, they just loved it, you know. So. Uh, yeah, and gosh. then we went from there to Elko. Oh, really? So. so was it like love at first sight, David, or was he slow, Denise? That's a bad question well, to ask me. But, uh, he won't admit it, but he told me he told me that when he first saw me, he knew we would get together. Yeah. Oh, wow. Before, uh, the light so, came on, uh, and a beam from the sky came down, and and, and, and everyone warned playing. me, no, yeah. stay away, stay away from him. <laughs> <laughs> really. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we. I, you know, I'm still crazy about him after all this time. And how many (laughs) years? How many years? How many years has it been now? You know, we met in in July. It'll be 35 years since we met. Oh no! Wow! Wow! And and in uh, this summer, it'll be 24. No, this April. Sorry. Oops. We just had our 24th wedding anniversary in April. Oh. Congratulations. Congratulations. 24 <laughs> wonderful, magical years. Uh, I like that. I like that. Well, Did it, your it, nose just get longer, Dave? Did I just <laughs> see your nose get longer? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Hey, I got, I've got to get to some more music. So since we're talking about this love relationship, this one is called Pony Call Love. And we'll be back in just a moment yeah. about more with David and Denise today on the Campfire Cafe. With a sock back twist, a squeal and a shout, it's a long swim back, no hope or applause, through riptides and currents, and a frenzy of job, she's a heartbreaker, that pony calls love. Last drops run from a valentine sponge My blood must taste bitter on the tip of her tongue No high moral ground, no place to hide From the battle of tarantulas deep down inside well, She's a heartbreaker Pony called love I've been hung up Stepped on Kicked in the heart Well she's a rank one Come apart She's a pony
come down to Nashville for yes. some conferences. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And, and if I remember, there was a great story about you and Randy Travis. Could you share that with us? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I did. I had a band called the Great Western Orchestra for, for uh, several years, and it was a piano player in me as, as the orchestra. And... Um, we made a record called The Wind and the Wire. Uh-huh. And we sent it down to Warner Western in Nashville. They were just planning on getting that label going. So I thought we'd be a perfect fit, so I sent the CD there. And uh, nothing really came of it, and it was on the desk of the uh, of the um, 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 producer. The producer? And Randy had hired Bobby Goldsboro to do the music for his for his TV show he was doing. Oh wow! And so they fired him, and they were looking for <laughs> some music. And Randy saw the CD on the guy's desk, desk, and asked if he could take it home with him. So Randy took it home with him, and he ended up doing two two of our songs. Named the TV show "Wind in the Wire." <laughs> wow! Yeah, so that was that was really great, and they treated well, us like really good. Yeah, well, that's that was quite an experience, you know. Now, and I don't know how Randy's doing now. Of course, he's had health problems for the last several years. But he, he's back training, I hear. Is he? Well, great. Yeah, he, that's he, great. He had some major strokes and uh, all kinds of problems like that. Yeah, well, he's a, he's oh, a fine a guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great singer. But really guess like what I have? Now. Guess what I have queued up to play right now? Uh, when wind in the wire. No, we're out, Wind boy. in the Wire. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's listen to that song, Wind in the Wire, and come back and talk more with Denise and David in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. Mm-hmm. 
I'd been riding fence all day Way up on the summer range Found a place to make my bed As the evening shadows fled From beyond the campfire light Through the stillness of the night Came the call of the coyote choir And the song of the wind in the wire Sang of long forgotten things Many moons and many suns Of the real Americans When the arrow and the bow Stalk the range of the buffalo And the call song well i'm a fly fisherman you know and uh-huh. um, i i used to go down to montana quite often fishing and um and uh i went down this one time I, I had a gig in idaho so i thought i'd take a few days fishing on the way down so i was camping out and um 
I, I was driving to a fishing hole there, and I saw this big hole battlefield. And I didn't even know what that was. But I guess that was the place that Chief Joseph fought off the soldiers and was able to escape. Um, but I got there early in the morning. There was nobody there but me. And there was bit, there was teepee poles with, with no canvas on them or anything, no, no, no covering on them or anything. And um, it was very eerie. It, it, it was in a ranch land with a barbed wire fence. And the barbed wire was sort of humming oh, as, wow. as, as, it, as it came in. And it just gave me an idea of uh, telling the story of Chief Joseph uh, through the wind. Wow. And, and that was the purpose. And then I took it home, and I co-wrote it with this friend of mine, Stuart McDougall, who was in the Great Western Orchestra. So, And there, that's history. <laughs> well, that's a great song, and I've heard other people that have recorded it, but don't tell them, but I think yours is the best version that I've heard. So. Oh, great. <laughs> Yeah. Don't tell that me was that. recorded in in Ireland too. That was recorded. Oh, yeah, in Ireland. That, that was in Ireland that, that, that we did that one. We we did that yeah. album mostly there. So you guys have have when COVID's not going on, you have traveled around the world. Um, of course, here in Canada and the United States, but a lot of time in Ireland and Scotland. And yeah, uh, yeah tell us a little bit about the. Scottish influence in your music, and maybe the Irish influence, but maybe more the Scottish than anything else. Yes, we're, we're we both have Scottish roots, and um, um, we spend a lot of time over there playing, and 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 like like you say, mostly Scotland, and we have lots. The the, the Scots sort of took to it more than the Irish did. Um, the Irish music is very traditional and very has to be a certain way, and we we didn't fit into that ball game, there, you know. Right, right. So, um, so, so anyway, that's um, how I go over there by myself for um, I call them research trips that, that okay. I spend most of the time in the pubs, <laughs> <laughs> and I I listen to bands and uh, I went to the, I went to the museums and the libraries and. I found all the information I wanted about the songs, and the more I got into it, the more I found out, you know. And uh, yeah, so that's our big influence, and we're still we still have great friends over there. And um, yeah, we were. In we're looking forward to getting back someday, but that's out of the question right here, you know, right now. Yeah. So. yeah. Both of our grandmothers were barely off the boat. Both Dave's and my grandmothers on the paternal side had uh, were had Scottish accents. I mean, it was oh, Luke really? and Luke, not book and look. It, it was, <laughs> so uh, I guess. we just feel so at home over there. And, but mind you, we I even wear a kilt. CD and, yeah, tell us about yeah. I think I was going to ask Denise about this, but did I hear something about David wearing a kilt and cowboy boots and riding a horse or something? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Oops. <laughs> that, that was the Canmore Folk Festival, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah. And the uh, the uh, organizer, I don't know if he made you a bet or something, but... It was pouring was rain. That? There was something in it for me, but I don't remember. But, <laughs> but he, he put me on a horse. It was pouring rain, so it was a kind of a, a weird entrance and to you the stage. Had to- <laughs> you had to be wearing a kilt. I don't know even know where you got the kilt. I mean, he's got his own now, which was given <laughs> to us by a good friend from Scotland. Um, 
You got to be yeah. careful wearing a kilt. I found out. You know. I'm I'm not even gonna ask what you wear on your <laughs> no. kilt. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, gosh. So uh, the 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 cattle the cattle um, industry in Scotland was really big at one time. Is it still? Uh, well, not really. Um, um, the the history of Scotland is people think think of Scotland as a sheep. They think of sheep all the time. Right. But, but Scotland was a cattle culture until they were conquered by the English, and the English brought the sheep in. Okay. And the sheep decimated the countryside. They ate everything. So you you, you go you, you, you go to the Highlands now, and it's it's picked clean. I mean, there's oh wow. There's, the the sheep have done their their duty there, I guess, and and uh, it's so, not just um, a big industry as it was, but a lot of um, like the the Matador Ranch in Texas was was run out of Scotland until nineteen. A lot of those ranches were uh, 50, oh, wow. fifty or five or sixty or something like that. It was a lot a lot of them out of Ireland and and Scotland. Um, the Scots and Irish were heavily invested in the cattle industry in the states. And there's lots of ranches yeah. that were run out out of, out of Edinburgh and uh, you know Glasgow and places like that. Right, and, right. A lot of people don't know that. But then some big drought came or something, or no, some some big winter storm came. The the big one. I can't I I I can't think of what happened, but that wiped all those ranches out, and mm. that was sort of the end of the Celtic uh, ranch ranch life. Wow. Now, Denise, I think you told me that they used to shoe the cattle in Scotland. Is that right? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, I, I've uh, what was the, I've forgotten the name of that of that road um, where they they would run the cattle, but they it was a, a kind of a paved road. Yeah. Um, back in the day, and so yeah, they they literally put shoes on them. I can probably find it something in my notes here, but uh, liner notes. But, There's a fantastic uh, anyway. book. It's called it's called the Drove Roads of uh, of uh, Scotland, and it, it's a great book. It tells you all about you know the Scottish cattle industry and everything. If you ever wow. find those. Yeah, well, I need to. Cattle. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I have got uh, I have got uh, some stepchildren that are just dying to go back and live in Scotland for a while. They enjoyed mm-hmm. it so much. Wow. And they said just what you did. They're, they're so friendly over there. Yeah. So friendly. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, we feel so at home. We just we, yeah. we love it over there. Yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that my on my mother's side of the family, we are Scot and Irish. And okay. uh, ah. kind of kind of proud of that heritage as well so mm-hmm. you should be yeah yeah and on my daddy's side it was cherokee and chicksaw so i've got a pretty good mixture really there. Mm-hmm. Wow. yeah so so do not uh make me angry because the irish will come out and then the scottish uh-huh. with the liquor with the cherokees would not be a good combination so let's be careful <laughs> you're talking to people that know all about that <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Hey, let's listen to another song. This is one called Spanish Johnny, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Denise and David today on the Campfire Cafe.
Those other years, those dusty years when we drove the big herds through. I tried to forget the miles we rode and Spanish Johnny you. He'd sit beside a water ditch when all the herd was in. He'd never harm a child but sing to his mandolin. He sang the old songs, the old talk, the dealing of our game. Spanish Johnny seldom spoke but sang songs of Spain. And his talk with men was vicious talk when he was drunk on gin. Those were the golden things he said to his mandolin. We had to stand, we had to judge, we had to stop him then. See those hands so gentle to a child had killed so many men. He died a hard death long ago before the roads came in. And the night before he swung, he sang to his mandolin. Johnny Cowboy Celtic, Denise Withnell, and David Wilkie are our very special guests today on the Campfire Cafe. And uh, you guys have got a great, great sound. And and tell us about your band members. Denise, get going yeah, on that. We we just love our band members. I mean, they they're like family. I mean, they. I think Carrie Carrie's Wicker, our our Celtic harpist and singer has been with us for um, almost 25 years. Oh, wow. I, I know. And, um, and, she says and, she was uh, six Joe years Hurt. old when she started to play with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she met her current husband in our band. Before, really? Um, 
Yeah, and so that is Nathan McAvanaugh who plays the baran, which is the Irish drum, and he sings too. So they wow. do a lot of stuff up there in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, so we have actually known Nathan longer than we've known Carrie. And anytime we can afford to bring Nathan along, depending on the gig, we sure love to have him along because he's great. And then um, Joe Hertz, our fiddle player, has been with us almost as long as Carrie. And he is just a lovely fiddler. He is so in tune. And I really hear when people are in tune. And he's just a lovely guy. They're just we just love them all. I mean, we, we go to gigs, and we've always lived in different cities, different now in different provinces, and so we, we, we disappear and run through all of our tunes, but we're always so excited to see each other. And, you know, Carrie had a little setback in 2019. She got uh, a breast cancer and had to have surgery oh, wow. and chemo and, and all that, but she's 100%. Um, it's all gone. She's fine. She's getting her hair back, and uh, she's on immunotherapy so so we um that was 2019 and and, uh that was a that was a little we were sure worried but uh yeah just doing great yeah Yeah, we'll have to keep her in our keep her in our prayers yeah thank thank you and you know we just have so much fun together and the band would always say when we're on the road dave tell us another one of your road stories (laughs) (laughs) so many (laughs) hilarious stories too bad we we won't get into them, but, you know, his previous times in other bands, and oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, gosh. they're all doing great. Well, that's great. Well, you've got a great, great sound and, and a great group. Did Thank I you. understand that that she has a collapsible harp? Yeah, it's, a carb, it's carbon fi- fiber, so we were playing at a six-shooter convention one time. A black powder she, convention, yeah. Black powder, and she told people that uh, her her harp was bulletproof, and then she we were hoping no one would catch that. All the that guns out. started to click in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but it, is, it was made by uh, I think John Dornan in Edmonton. It literally collapses flat, and wow. so when she when she um, occasionally the harp doesn't show up, and and like one time we were playing in Mississippi, and the harp didn't show up, and we had to. A few hours before the gig, had to run back into New Orleans to the airport to pick it up. So she had to, she had to yank it open in the airport because it has to stay up for quite a while before the strings will stay in tune. So a crowd oh, gathered wow. around her, and just she yanks this thing up, and and she said you could hear everybody go. <gasps> <laughs> it's really amazing, but it makes oh, gosh. Her easy traveling. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's in a great, great harp. Oh, gosh. Right there. Well, <laughs> you you got a great group of folks, and if people have been with you for over 20 years, you're doing something right besides the music, and that's, that's just pretty cool. That is pretty well, thank cool. Thank you. I've I got to get some more music. Got to get some more music. So tell us about Down Along Livingstone. Okay. That song was written by a fellow named Sid Marty. And he lives in Alberta, up against the Rocky Mountains, uh, behind what is called the Livingstone Rocky Mountain Range. And so that's what that song's about. And Sid is a great poet and writer, and um, we've done a few of his songs. We did um, Key of Joy is his song, which I love, and um, 
Other People's Cattle also is, is his song. So he's been very yeah, great song. instrumental yeah. in our whatever we're doing. <laughs> All right, right. Well, this is a great song. So this is Down the Living Stone. It's by Cowboy Celtic. We're talking with Denise Withnell and David Wilkie today on the Campfire Cafe. Tonight there will be snow again Frost along my pony's back The wind begins to blow Southern girl now she has gone Southern ladies just follow the sun She'll return when warm rains come Down along the living stone You can see Chief Mountain now Through the Montana snow That's where all our bad luck comes from And where all our money's gonna go Late spring storm, new doggies born We gotta find them boys, they'll die out there alone We'll be riding late tonight Down along the living stone Down around no galleys While I watch Orion rise On these lion-colored valleys Soon the avalanche will roll Down these walls of living stone Where the bear is denned up there Only crazy coyote knows Billy, get down your old guitar And play that Spanish song once more She will ride with me tonight Down along the living stone Play it soft, now play it low Mi amor, mi corazón She'll return when warm rains blow Down along the living stone Down along the living stone Down along 
Livingstone, Cowboy Celtic. Our special guests today have been Denise Withnell and David Wilkie. And you guys are just too stinking much fun to have on the show. And <laughs> Likewise, Gary. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And Dave, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get some of those road stories when you're on next time. Oh well, I don't know, some are censored, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, Gosh. Well, for our worldwide audience that's tuned in today, tell us how we can get your music and how we can follow you when the touring starts back. Well, um, we're supposed to have a whole bunch of stuff up on our website, which is cowboycelpic.ca. Okay. And uh, we're, we're working on that. But in the meantime, they can email, people can email us centerfi at telus.net okay really get a, uh, we got to get our act together on that but <laughs> <laughs> we're so bad at, at, is, we're so bad at promoting ourselves we're just the worst but we have well, fun anyway but I'll tell you what the best yeah. thing oh go ahead no go on they can, e- they can email us they can message us through Facebook uh, a Cowboy Celtic page and they can call us at uh, 250 655-4882. Okay. All right. So you can you can follow them at cowboyceltic.ca. And, yeah. uh, and probably one of the easiest ways is just to send them a message on Facebook, and then they can respond to you. And, and um, yeah. the music is great. The albums are great. And, and, David, how many albums do you have out now? Either seven or eight. I can never remember. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know. And and it's worth going and checking out uh, David playing with Ian Tyson and uh, Kathy Lang. That would be an <laughs> awesome thing to see. <laughs> but you guys are just absolutely terrific, and I uh, look forward to having you back again. So right. do, you ever, do you ever get back down toward Nashville? We've been to Nashville several several times. Um, Doug Green from the Riders in the Sky is a friend of ours, and he's he was he was playing at the station in there for a long time. Yeah, on, 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 on the Monday night uh, Western Swing uh, thing. And so we've well, been down, down to the station in, and I, I used to go to Nashville all the time when I was in the radio business. And I I love Nashville. Well, yeah, when you get to Nashville, you give me a holler and let me know. Oh, absolutely. So that'd be fun. So. Oh yeah. And I, I think Doug is playing with um, uh, Time Jumpers now on Monday yeah. nights at Third and Lindsley, and Ooh. so yeah, yeah. So that'd be a that'd be a cool gig to go back and kind of oh, you guys so, to show up. Yeah, they're, they're so fantastic. And, yeah, they're but great. What a band they're the great. Time Jumpers are, and Vince Gill. What can you say about him? Oh my God. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's you. What can you say about Cowboy Celtic? Except you guys are awesome, and uh, we look forward to maybe catching you live somewhere in the new year. That would be so cool. That'd be that great. Would be cool. That'd be fun. Big All fun. right. Well, you you guys have been great. We look forward to having you back on the Campfire Cafe with us, and we're going to close out this segment of the show with another great song by Cowboy Celtic. It's called "The Key of Joy." Guys, thanks for being with us today. All right, thank, thank you, you so much, Gary. Yeah, right. thanks for having us. Say hi to the lovely Mary Kay for us, too. I will do that. Thank you so much. And Bobby. Give Bobby our best.
When the western sky turns into gold And mountains bask in the elfin glow Little coyote shouts and stars jump out over the bow And I've got nothing on my mind But the sighing of the pines They speak of mysteries Of Lake Louise And here's to that wandering Nova Scotia boy Who sang of the Rockies In the key of joy Montana Slim, that was his pseudonym. Will Carter, this one's for you. On the shore, the golden poppies blow, and lovers still walk to and fro. Like the song your mother sang so long ago And it gives your mind some ease You suspend your disbelief Amid this loud maternity At Lake Louise That wandering Nova Scotia boy Who sang of the Rockies In the key of joy Montana Slim That was his pseudonym Will Carter This one's for you When the western sky turns into gold And mountains bask in the elfin glow Little coyote shouts and stars jump out over the bowl And I've got nothing on my mind But the sighing of the pines They speak of mysteries Of Lake Louise Of Lake Louise Time now for Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. When we come back, we'll be talking with Randy Rasmussen of Backcountry Horsemen of America and Holly Groshek with Equine Land Conservation Resource. We'll be back in just a moment on Saddle Up America.
gathered in the dark before dawn Cause the big sky is changing now that summer's long gone And the ruby's red waters are reflecting the sky Because winter is coming tonight And there's a storm on the mountain Full of thunder and snow And the herd has to move To safe pastures below So at first light the cowboys Are driving them home And they sing as they move them along Idaho, Montana Beneath the big sky your high shining mountains are bright and alive. Heidi Hole, Montana, full of garnets and gold. And your son sing a song to your sweet big sky soul. All the winter awakens the call of the wild. Gobblers are gobbling at the geese on the right. All the deer join the dance as the rut has begun. With the song of the cowboys, the stars and the sun. While he's riding mighty tall in life's circumstance, he'd rope that old storm. Given a chance And with a nugget of wisdom On this hard cattle drive The spirit of the cowboy Is well and alive Heidi Ho, Montana Beneath the big sky Your high shining mountain Bright and alive, Idaho, Montana, full of garnets and gold, and your son sing a song to your sweet big sky soul. And then a voice deep as God, you can hear the earth sing like a howl from the canyon. Never be changed For it's not about the money Silver or gold But the secrets of life Only hard lands can hold ho Montana Beneath the big sky Your high shining mountains are bright and alive Heidi Ho, Montana Full of garnets and gold And your son sing a song To your sweet big sky soul Heidi Ho
The Tidy Ho Montana by Chris and Jen Harris, otherwise known as Rodeo and Juliet. And welcome back to Saddle Up America. For this Thursday, our very special guests today are Mr. Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America and Holly Groshek with Equine Land Conservation Resource. And Randy, let's bring you on and let you do a little bit of an introduction for Holly. Well, thank you, Gary. Glad to be with you today. Um, yeah, uh, as you know, the Backcountry Horsemen of America and our volunteers throughout the U.S. Uh, spend a large bulk of our time on public lands and keeping trails open on federal and state public lands and, you know, and, and doing the stewardship and volunteer work that we all do. Right. Um, oh, a qu- quick announcement. I just want to say we have a new chairman just elected last week, as is expected. They rotate out every few years. And Sherry Copeland from uh, Missouri, Backcountry Horsemen of Missouri, is now our new chair of Backcountry Horsemen of America. So um, I just wanted to make that announcement and, again, talk about our great volunteers across the nation. But our focus is public lands, uh, a lot by and large. And so in working in the, you know, the space of, of equine access and uh, continuing a tradition and a heritage, we have a great partner in Holly and her organization. And just let me set the stage. The name says a lot, Equine Land Conservation Resource. So they're conserving equine land, and they're a great resource. And if you go to the website, tons of information. It's just amazing. But their focus is primarily on private land preservation, but they also work on public lands issues. It's, it's broader than that. But ELCR and Holly Groshek, the executive director who's on with us now, uh, serve a great complement to the work that BCHA does. And so there's a lot of things that we do hand in hand. We both promote equine access on public lands, private lands. Um, but her organization is really well suited uh, for the private land piece. So with that, I wanted to introduce Holly again, the executive director of that organization, and really hope that uh, you can use this time here to kind of learn more about her organization and what they do, because they're a valued partner for the backcountry horsemen. All right. Well, thanks, Randy. And Holly, I understand you're going to sing a song for us and Randy's going to back you up. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, for his audience, we have to say you were joking and saying every every new guest has to sing a song. And I said, well, look, quickly, you will lose your entire audience. They may never come back if you hear me sing. So. Uh, gosh. Well, welcome to the show. And, and, and hopefully Thank you'll come you. back. Hopefully you'll come back and be with us again. But um, so Randy did a pretty good job of telling us a little bit about ELCR, but maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about what ELCR does and is. Sure, I'd love to do that. Just want to first thank Randy for that introduction and say, long time no see. Randy and I were just <laughs> on a Zoom call yesterday. <laughs> So we do a lot of work together, and I really think our organizations complement each other, but sometimes people might be confused on the mission of the two organizations and how we work together. Uh, Randy and and Backcountry Horsemen do a phenomenal job and working with the federal land agencies and the state land agencies, as you can imagine, that's a huge undertaking. That's miles and miles and miles of trails and 
in, in thousands of acres of land as well, and the complexity of, of dealing with um, federal and state land managers. So we really often turn to them, and if we get calls that are more appropriate for them to address, we do refer folks on to them. So I think if you kind of compare, we probably have a little bit more of a broader focus in the sense that we are concerned with protecting access to land for breeding, racing, training, feeding, raising, competing, and recreating with our horses. So that's quite a bit. And sometimes jokingly I say to Randy, if you're the back country folks and we're maybe the more the front country folks in the sense that uh-huh. we're dealing with issues that are more close to urban or suburban areas. And quite honestly, I think the non-horse people are kind of confused about our equine community, thinking horse people are, are two, one of two things. Either they're very wealthy, which we know that's not the case for everyone, or they live out west in the range area where they uh-huh. have plenty of access to land. So sometimes they, they are confused and don't understand the land issues horse people have. But the majority of our horse owners do live kind of close around suburban areas. And, of course, with urban sprawl, they're getting closer and closer to yeah. suburban areas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's quite an issue, as you can imagine. So maybe I could just give you a little background of our organization, how we started. We are a 501c3 national education-based nonprofit organization, and we were founded about 21, 22 years ago by a group of United States pony clubs board members. Okay. They had this group of folks had served on what was called the New Millennium Task Force. This is about nineteen ninety eight. And they were charged with looking at issues that were going to impact the equine industry in the new millennium. And lo and behold, on the list that they put together, the loss of land for equine related activities really topped that list. And they reached out to national discipline organizations and breed group organizations, and everybody agreed that that was an issue, but none of those organizations were really formulated to work on the issue. Okay. So they branched out and said maybe it makes sense to have a national organization just focused on this issue as a resource for horsemen and women. And, of course, we made the mistake of naming our national nonprofit after exactly what we do, which is great, but nobody can remember equine land conservation resources, quite a mouthful. <laughs> that just gives you a little bit of background about us and a lesson to don't name your organization after exactly what you do. It might not be yeah. a good tactic, right? Yeah, yeah, our, long name. Our, right, right. Our mission right. is to lead in the protection and conservation of lands for horses and horse-related activities in a nutshell. That has got to be quite a challenge right now, Holly, um, because, you know, the urban sprawl is everywhere now. And uh, um, how do you address those things? Well, I'll tell you basically how we fulfill that mission. I think it's really threefold. First is creating awareness of the land loss issue and kind of being out there and sounding the alarm. And we focused on that more in the earlier years, but as you just said, Gary, 
it's not surprising to anybody really across the country. It's more pronounced in some areas than others. But I think most horse people are aware of this issue now. So beyond creating that awareness, we help on to the challenge by providing unique educational resources on horse land protection, what we call our six core conservation issue areas. And I could talk about those six issue areas later on in our conversation. Okay. Basically, we're developing educational resources that can be anything from articles to tools, templates, or guidebooks that we have developed as an organization, and we make this material available to the public on what we call our online resource library, and I'm going to give you our website. It's www.elcr.org. Okay. We also provide uh, quarterly educational webinars for the public on various topics in these six core issue areas, and all our resources are free and accessible to the public. So I really encourage all your listeners to, to just go on that website and see what's available and see the plethora of information because you never know when you, you might need those resources. And then lastly, we provide one-on-one -on -one counseling and technical assistance to any individuals or organizations or communities that are facing horse land issues. And of course, this gets really complex because we have to deal with state and local regulations, so many of the time we're just providing some general information and guidance on what they should do. I guess that gives you a little overview of who we are and, and how we work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were, uh, there were a couple of things kind of preparing for the show today that I had jotted down. And, okay. And um, uh, one of them was the equine access to the public lands, and we talk about that a lot with Randy when he's mm -hmm. on. But uh, the other, one of the others was the equine access to private lands. Can we talk a little bit about how that works? Sure. I mean, private lands are, are really an important issue to our equine community. We sometimes don't realize how important they are. But if you go to our website and you click on this equine access to private lands, you'll find a lot of information that has to deal with simple things on how to develop and manage a private trail system, for example. How do you work with landowners to gain access and maintain that access once you have it? And this is so important when you think of the breadth of equestrians that really count on this access to private lands. This can be anything from recreational trail riders to competitive trail riders, endurance riders, fox hunters. Many of our fox hunt clubs, they're really primarily on private land historically. Right. Three-day right. event riders and even competitions. Historically, many well-known competitions have been going on for decades have been held on private land. So private land is, is really is pretty, critical, pretty critical to the, the mainstay, I'd say, of equestrian sports and equestrian activities. And it's, it's important to maintain. It's important to think about. We did do a webinar last year with American Trails, and we highlighted three different private trail systems. They were all on the East Coast. And it was so well received that, we did an article on it, too, and we said we need to expand this. So this year, one of our projects is a guidebook where we're going to profile private trail systems throughout the country. 
comparing and contrasting, showing how they did it, how they maintain that. We think that's going to be an important resource for folks that are looking to establish a private trail system in their own community. Well, I think so. And, and uh, um, of course, being an old Tennessee boy back in the east, <laughs> we have uh, we have quite a few public lands that we can ride on. But probably about an hour from my farm uh, was a, was a great trail riding camp that uh, that didn't have enough land on their own, but they had worked with with uh, individual landowners with nice sized farms in the area and uh and had been able to cooperatively open up the trails throughout uh that area you know so you could ride on like five or six different farms and through different types of terrain um how do you put something together like that well, I think you really need to to have a few people that want to organize it, like any any effort that are interested in doing it and have a plan, and basically going out and approaching the farm owners, the landowners, one by one, and trying to deal with the, the issues they might be concerned about, liability, or are you going to damage my property, and to be able to articulate and have those answers ready. Sometimes once you get one or two property owners interested, they can help leverage some of their neighbors. Sometimes you start with just a smaller group and continue to expand. But the most important thing thing to maintain that is you have to maybe have some good set rules within your club. For example, mm-hmm. in Tryon, they have the Foothills Equestrian Trail Association, and they're wonderful. They're well-organized. They have some rules set up that people have to abide by. You have to be a member. You have to check their website to see if the trails are open. If there's been too much rain, for example, they'll shut down the trails. And people have to be respectful to the property owners. And also the important thing is recognize those property owners. Some of the fox hunting clubs do great things to maintain relationships with the private uh, property owners and really thank them every year by just simply doing things like baking Christmas cookies or taking gifts to them or inviting them to trail parties or hunt club parties. I like that baking cookie idea. That's pretty good. Yeah, right? It's just sometimes <laughs> a simple thank you thing because or just educating them on how important this is community. So um, – there are a couple areas that I want to talk about. Um, okay. I want to take a really quick break right now and and get to another song. That's and I'm kind of saluting Montana today, Randy. I don't know why. Um, BCHA didn't start there, did they? They started there in the early '70s uh, in the Flathead Valley. So thanks for for making that note, Gary. I'm kind of saluting Montana today in honor of you and BCHA. <laughs> But this is one called Montana Moon. It's by Dan McCorson. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the benefits of horses to communities and why it's important for the communities to support the horse people. We'll be right back. We'll talk more with Holly and Randy today on Saddle Up America. Somewhere up this highway, 
thousand miles or more The girl I love is standing out by our front door Every night about this time we both look in the sky When that big Montana moon is shining bright She's up there on the prairie and I'm in these city lights But I use that moon to carry my love to her each night And I can almost see her face up there reflected in the light When that big Montana moon is shining bright I'll be going home real soon That you can be sure Until then when I'm lonesome I found the perfect cure Even though that moon up there Shines on the seven seas It'll always be Montana's moon to me She's up there on the prairie And I'm in these city lights But I use that moon to carry my love to her each night And I can almost see her face up there Reflected in the light When that big Montana moon is shining bright up there on the prairie and I'm in these city lights but I use that moon to carry my love to her each night and I can almost see her face up there reflected in the light when that big Montana moon is shining bright when that big Montana moon is shining bright It's Dan McCorson with Montana Moon, and we're kind of saluting BCHA today and Randy Rasmussen with a few Montana songs. But uh, our special guest today is Holly Groshek with the Equine Land Conservation Resource, and we've been talking a little bit about some of the uh, equine access to private lands. But Holly, let's talk a little bit about the benefits of horses to communities and why communities should be supportive of horse activities in the area. Sure, I'll be happy to do that. That's one of the other six core issue areas that I mentioned earlier that we focus on. We, have, we covered one earlier on private lands. The benefit of the horses to our communities, we actually formulated that issue area because we thought it was so important. If we want to live in horse-friendly communities, then it's really contingent about horsemen and women being able to learn how to effectively advocate for horses in their communities and influence non-horse people and decision makers by detailing all the benefits horses bring to our community. We always think of economic impact, and of course that's really important for decision makers, but there's more benefits besides the economic impact of horses. You have to think about the ecological benefits of both open pasture lands that they bring to us, 
those beautiful panoramic vistas that we also enjoy and the quality mm-hmm. of living around these beautiful, pristine horse farms. And also the benefits they bring us, they get us out into nature and also therapeutic riding. So there's really quite, we, we list a whole litany on our website of all these benefits and how you can argue those or advocate for horses using those. Well, there are a lot of benefits, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits, and it's just really important and contingent about horse men and women to be aware about those and always advocating to their friends, their neighbors, and families those benefits so people understand them more and what would this community look like if the horses were gone. I don't even like to think about that. No. no. I don't like to think about that, Randy. No. Yeah. <laughs> but see, we, we wanted to put those arguments up there so that people could easily do their own power pipe or um, point if they had to go to a planning meeting, for example, and get in front of a planning commission and be able to advocate for horses in their community. How much? How much uh, has the horse properties? Uh, decreased or shrunk over the last 20 years? The community? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at one time there were a lot of family farms, and those are shrinking today. And um, uh, how much land have we actually lost to development? Well, I'll give you – I might have some statistics here that I can share with you on that. All right. A good study, a really good study came out just a couple of years ago, and this is another partner organization of ours. It's the American Farmland Trust. And if folks aren't familiar with them, they really should Google them and look them up. They do a phenomenal job. They released a study a couple of years ago called uh, Farms Under Threat, the State of the States. And according to the study, 2,000 acres of agricultural land are converted every day including our most productive, versatile, and resilient land. Surprising, the study showed that the low-density residential land use is as much of a threat to farmland and ranch land as traditional urban and suburban development. Now, between 2001 and 2016, 11 million acres of farmland and ranch land were converted to urban and high developed, highly developed land use. The 1.4 million acres were urban, and low-density residential land use was nearly 7 million acres. Wow. It's only getting worse. It's it's really concerning. And and this uh, study, Farms Under Threat, is really interesting. People should just Google it and take a look at it. It's chock full of a lot of interesting information. And another stat I want to share with you is, according to the USDA Forest Service, we're losing open space forest and farm and ranch land in this country at an alarming rate of 6,000 acres per day, which is 250 acres an hour to development and private restricted purposes. So, yes, it's very concerning. Wow. You know, and once the land is developed, it's it's really gone. It's, yeah, it's pretty gone. much not reversible. So. Yeah. Uh, you've just depressed the fire out of me, Holly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh gosh. 
I didn't want to give you all all the bad news, you know. Oh gosh, give me some good news now. You had mentioned a couple of things that that uh, some some there's six steps, there's six points that you had, and we talked about two well, just yeah. a little bit. We talked about a couple of them. Well, another one I think is one of the more important core areas that we really work on is, is planning for horses in your community. If you go to that section, you're going to find all this information. One of the things we did just several years ago is we had a, a great woman that's on our advisory board, and she's a professional planner out of Wilmington, North Carolina. She's also a horsewoman, and she helped us develop um, a guide to planning and zoning for horse people. So it's a great approach for a horse person to read through this guidebook and understand what is planning and zoning and how can we impact that in our community. Because it all comes back to planning and zoning and oftentimes leaders or people on the planning commission, they don't want to do things that are detrimental to horse people. They don't set out to do that. A lot of times right. they just don't understand. So we really encourage folks that you have to get get a horse person on that planning commission. You have to get involved. You have to be ever vigilant and know what's happening. Be abreast, go to public meetings, and make sure you're out there advocating for horses. So, yeah, that's a great resource area for folks to go. There's plenty of articles, how to fight a zoning change or a new development in your community. And it okay. can be done. People are doing it. Okay. All right. So, so that's three areas. Give us something else. Okay, conservation tools for horse lands. And this would be, get a little closer to the question you just asked me when we were on break. Yeah. Once you really know you want to protect some private land, let's say you have a horse farm that's been in your family, you don't really want to see it developed, you might want to look at what are your tools that you can access to protect that farm in perpetuity. So you may want to work with a land trust to put a conservation easement on that property. So it could be sold but it could just never be developed. It would have some restrictions that would go along with the deed and that would protect it in perpetuity. You could even structure the conservation easement to guarantee that equine access always remains with the property. That would be an important tool for people to consider right now, Absolutely I would think. It would. Absolutely, yeah. it would. Now, and there's some communities like the community I live here in Lexington, Kentucky, that have a phenomenal what they call PDR program. It's a purchase and development rights program. People when they do a conservation easement, they just get some really good, you know, tax incentives to do that. It can go mm-hmm. on for like 15 years. So they do it for the tax write-off. But in a community like Lexington, Kentucky, you can do the tax write-off, or you could get a purchase for your development rights. So we have a community here, Lexington State Urban County Government, that takes a certain amount of tax monies and they put them aside each year and they look at horse farms where they can buy the development rights and they actually pay the horse farm for that. Hmm. So There's more creative, more options for the landowners. Okay. And by the way, the first time I drove into Lexington, Kentucky, I thought I had died and gone to horse heaven. <laughs> Well, I, I tend to think so. I'm sitting here in my office at the Kentucky Horse Park today, our uh-huh. beautiful Kentucky Horse Park, and I'm looking outside, and, of course, this is a beautiful time in Kentucky. We've had quite a bit of rain, 
so our, our bluegrass is marvelously green and lush, and it's just a great time. It's a great time for riding. I think the horses agree it's a great time of year. There's no flies. The paddocks are lush. The only downside is all the mowing. But otherwise, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful time to be in Kentucky. Have and you know, we've opened, done such a great job protecting the land here. Yeah. Have they opened the horse park back up for most events, or is it still Well, our, our big time of year is the summer. So pretty soon here we'll be open, and they have quite a long series of hunter-jumper shows in particular, and they get okay. 2,000 horses for each, each show. So it's going to be open again. It was open last year, and then they had a little bit of COVID problems, so they shut it down. But I think we're going to be open. We had the Landover three-day event, which is a big international event, and that did go off this month, but no special. Okay, good. Good, good. Well, I know that uh, Road to the Horse had moved uh, to Fort Worth from the horse park, and then the uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover is going virtual this time, I understand, in June. Right, And it's been there as well. So wasn't sure what the situation was, but it would be great to see everything open back up again there. Absolutely. All right. So I interrupted you. You had some other points that you were going to make. Well, I think the the only thing that's left now, oh, well, two more two more topics were left that we focus on. The best management practices, you'll find information on topics such as manure management, pasture management, all the tools we need to ensure that horses make good neighbors. We think that's really critical, right? If we want horse-friendly communities, we got to make sure horses make good neighbors. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then lastly is the access to public lands is, I spoke about earlier, we really count on backcountry horsemen to be the authorities on the backcountry and the federal lands because they do it so well, and we certainly don't want to duplicate efforts out there. So our our, our public lands are, are much more local. You know, we'll get calls in community facilities and parks where maybe the horse people are feeling some pressure because they want to expand soccer fields, and they're getting pushed out. And, you know, those are the issues that we would encounter. We often deal with states that maybe don't have a backcountry horseman chapter within yeah. that state as well. So, so the, yeah. number so one, I, the number one challenge for ELCR today, what do you think that would be? Well, I think this challenge is kind of continuing and ongoing, is really trying to get ahead of the issue and educate the horsemen because it's so like our human nature to wait until the last minute. So, you know, typically when the bulldozer is next door, it's kind of too late, (laughs) right? (laughs) Just a little bit. And Randy and I talk about this too, it's, it's just it's just the human nature of people procrastinating or maybe they're just not aware until something is critical mm-hmm. and we just can't operate that anymore and, and feel like we're going to win win this fight and have control over it and saving access to the land we needed to enjoy our horses in our communities. So it's about being more proactive, organizing and having entities in our communities that are kind of the land advocacy groups and the watchdogs. And that's really mm-hmm. going to be critical. And development is not going to go away. You know, these threats are, are not going away. They're only going to get greater. 
Right. I think that's one of the big challenges we face as an organization is really saying this is critical and the conservation is really done at the local level. So really getting these these local communities focused and organized on the issue. Well, I think it's great that that your organization is involved in this and has some tools and educational programs in place to help people uh, understand and, and address the issues and challenges that they're facing. And uh, so what song did you decide you were going to sing for us today? <laughs> <laughs> How about Silence is Golden and I'm going to be quiet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Randy Rasmussen, you've been awfully quiet. You have a you have a song suggestion? Oh, you know, anything Roy Rogers, I guess, would be good at this point, too. But I'm trying to think of some Montana. Well, yeah, there's, you know, there's plenty of uh, uh, things that would fit that genre. But, no, I, I really wanted Holly to have that discussion with you and to, um, you know, and really get to understand her and her organization because it's so critically important today as always. We, we just tend to not sometimes think about the private lands and, and, and talking to Holly I was saying, gee, two of the favorite places we ride close to home here in Western Oregon are private timber lands. These are private lands that could change hands mm-hmm. and things could change mm-hmm. in a second. Yeah. Um, right. And so this whole thing about being proactive and, and working with the land managers and, and getting to know them on a personal basis, giving them gifts. I love that. That's, that's just great to say mm-hmm. we appreciate you is always important to show that they're good neighbors and that they're, you know, they're, they're valued. And it just keeps those lines of communications open. So if something does happen and they're thinking of selling, you might hear about it some way beforehand. And then you can talk about these options that Holly and our organization can promote in terms of land conservation easements or other things that could benefit them, have tax benefits, and still keep allow the access. So it's just critical that we recognize the private land component that's, that's so important to all of us for horseback riding close to home and even destination places where we go. Um, so I'm glad you uh, had her on your show and we, we've had this discussion because it's a critical piece of the, the overall equation of equine access. Well, I think so, and I appreciate Holly being on. And, and, and Holly, um uh, would love for you to come back. We won't make you sing unless you want to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we might get into a little bit more about some of the tax advantages for some of the different types of programs that are available out there for people to look at. And um, I mean, if, that if would we be wonderful. And yeah, I could even yeah. bring somebody that's an expert on that. Well, uh, that'd be good too. That would be good yeah. too. But uh, give us your website again www.elcr.org. ELCR.org. That's pretty easy. And uh, can you become a member of your organization or make contributions or? You can do both. You can do both. We have a conservation partner program where people can sign up and be a member, and they can also contribute in donations if they're so inclined to do so. All right. So just visit elcr.org and find out how you can do that. And uh, Randy, do people need to become members of BCHA? Always, always, whether or not you have public lands near you or where you ride, you know, again, it's the destination things. People always say, I do want to ride in the Flathead Valley and and elsewhere in Montana or other wonderful landscapes. 
you know, our volunteers are the ones that do the work. So bcha.org. That's the acronym for Backcountry Horsemen of America, bcha.org. And there's a chapter locator on that landing page about midway down. You could even find a chapter near you to join. You don't have to be, you know, have your own horses. You don't have to be a professional trail builder by any means. We will take anyone who wants to, has the passion to keep trails open uh, for public use. There you go. So bcha.org or elcr.org and get involved with those organizations. If you enjoy riding your horses, uh, on public or private lands, I think it would pay to get involved with, with both of these organizations. And Randy, we are celebrating, I think, seven years now with BCHA being on the show every first Thursday of the month. Time flies. That's right. having fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, but uh, thank you for bringing Holly to the show today, and uh, you're doing a pretty good job of bringing some good guests with some great information, so we appreciate that. But uh, anyway, good to have both of you with us today, and right now we're going to salute Montana again with a song from Trinity Seeley. It's one called Montana Wind, and we'll be back in just a moment on Saddle Up America.
Montana Wind, Trinity Seeley, and it has been a lot of fun today on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Great to have Denise Withnell and David Wilkie from Canada with us on the Campfire Cafe. And as always, Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horse from America and Holly Groshek with ELCR was very informative. And we look forward to having her come back and join us again as well. So uh, we miss Bobby Bell. Bobby, get better. And we look forward to having you back with us next week. We do want to remind everyone that Rendezvous East is coming up in just about a month and a half. So visit our website at equestrianlegacy.net and check out Rendezvous 2021 and get involved. It's for a great charity. That's the Hope and Healing at Hillinglade. That's Equine Therapy for Soldiers with PTSD and the Mustang Heritage Foundation, where we're finding homes for Mustangs. We thank you again for joining us, and we're going to close out today's show with another song by Cowboy Kelt. It's called The Water is Wide. Thanks for listening today to Equestrian Legacy Radio.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.